Shit, yeah, shit. I've been cooking work on the east side. You ain't talking dollar signs, nigga, peace sign. It's a quarter past, collect you finna eat time. I'll be damned if a nigga finna eat mine. If your new shit's out, never be sides. Ain't never sure while I'm sitting seaside. Sipping my tie, beat side with my feet high. If a nigga talk greasy, get deep fried. You can't Airbnb the condo. You know my whole family ball, and I'm Lonzo. Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 45, and we're here this week with Ryan King from Foam. And I'm also here with my loyal co-host, Demetric Ferguson, a.k.a. the James Brown of podcasting. Those are his words. I don't quite know what that means. I'll let him explain. Um, but Demetric, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience for our 45th episode and the final episode of the season? Uh, yeah, uh, the James Brown of podcasting is like because his nickname was the hardest working man in show business back in his heyday. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I'm sorry, so the hardest working man in crypto show business. I I feel like I am. I work really hard. I, I believe like I you. Really I, think, I think you do. You really do. I'm really proud of you. Um, but like I said, <laughs> uh, we're here this week with uh, Ryan King from Foam. And um, so, Ryan, uh, since we already uh, have a generalized idea on uh, what Foam is and everything in your company that you're working on, where we want to start at first is to have the audience be introduced to who you are. So, uh, Ryan, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Give us a backgrounder on yourself and kind of your history of how you fell into the cryptocurrency space, and then we'll dump into um, kind of like what, what's going on with Foam. Ryan? Hi, uh, this is Ryan. I'm co-founder and uh, currently CEO of Foam. We're working mm-hmm. on uh, spatial protocols uh, and Ethereum, uh, but I really started working on Foam originally about three years ago in early 2015. Uh, and we were coming at it from a more urban design, architecture, and technology point of view, um, and thinking about how to actually capture and store the value of space on a blockchain or a token. So our first project in early 2015 was actually called Foam Space, where we built giant foam blocks in the streets uh, as architects and gave out tokens on Bitcoin to everyone who came to try to capture that value. And we made other installations like uh, Mining Station, which was an inflatable space that captured the heat from Ethereum miners to kind of uh, explore the spatial dimensions of blockchain again. And uh, through this kind of uh, past few years with my co-founders, uh, we had a lot of different ideas about location and city building and blockchains, but we realized uh, in this kind of permissionless and blockchain environment, you really actually needed fraud-proof uh, location verification standards. And that's how we came to uh, be working on the phone protocol as it is today. Well, prior to that in 2015, what were you, what were you doing, right? Uh, well, my main background uh, is in economics, uh, political science, and philosophy, and I was uh, kind of transitioning into that realm into a more spatial thinking, uh, focused on international relations and the Middle East. So around the time when the Arab uprisings happened, and I started studying like the spatial dimensions of protests and policing, and where like new uh, buildings were being built, like free trade zones and golf courses that were really like you know affecting that environment and. Because of that, I uh, went into architecture school at Columbia as a postgrad research. But it was around the time Bitcoin was hitting its first like real uh, bubble in 2013. And given my prior knowledge of it and economics background, I kept applying all these um, blockchain economic ideas to these architecture projects. And we started doing these competitions, and eventually we won one called Foam Space. So that was the real transition into them doing that full time. Yeah, man. Yeah, you've done a lot. That sounds like really cool. It's interesting how you got into the space coming from building like foam like I guess seems like just like art installations and you're just sort of like playing around with the concept would you call that blockchain performance art yeah or really like architecture where we were kind of collaborating with artists where we built the 
like structures for the art. So we actually recreated mm-hmm. one of the pieces in Ethereal last year, um, mm-hmm. which was called the Tropical Mining Station. So we recreated that inflatable bubble and it really housed all the art inside. There's a piece by uh, Simon Denny, which is like a risk board with Vitalik's face on it and a board with all the blockchain companies. We had like a That's photo with awesome. Joe Lubin <laughs> placing a piece on the chessboard. I mean, the risk board. So yeah, really kind of <laughs> performative architecture that housed a lot of art, but we wanted to kind of incorporate blockchain technology into the actual architecture. That's so that's so awesome how everyone comes from just such very different like backgrounds with so many different skill sets and when they come together we, we have like really interesting projects like foam come about and that, that's just pretty dope so let's sort of like uh, let's let's just dive in at the uh, heart of what foam is you you sort of um kind of like glazed over there initially as to how we ended up there but yeah let's give um let's give the audience a uh, like a backgrounder on where the project is as it stands now kind of what are the main pieces. Yeah, so there's kind of three real main pieces, or we call them the three elements of foam. And the first two are really completely general purpose. They're not driven by any token, and they're really meant to be bringing these location and spatial standards to blockchain for any developer to use. So the first element is what we call the crypto spatial coordinate. Uh, And this is just a standardized way to encode location information into a smart contract. Today, there is no standard. So you look at a drone project is using latitude, longitude, and a real estate project is using a street address. Now these contracts can't speak to each other. Um, Also, the Ethereum virtual machine doesn't support float points. So latitude and longitude numbers get really long uh, for a really specific point. And that's not compatible when every contract has a different kind of resolution. So we've developed this standard using open source geoencoding standard called the GeoHash and just have a very simple way for a contract to claim uh, a location in a shared interoperable way. And that's open for anyone to inherit. And if you encode location in your smart contract, you can now render it on a map. So the second element is what we call the spatial index visualizer. It's kind of like a cross between a Bloomberg terminal and a Google Maps, where if you encode that's your awesome. smart contracts uh, with location, we have this whole API, this full stack web app that then would read the blockchain and render that on a map. And that's built with a map box, open street maps, and some Uber visualization tools. And so we have a developer portal at developer.foam.space and access to that API. And so this crypto spatial coordinate and this visualizer can be used for basically anyone, whether you wanted to uh, have a crypto kitty or crypto pets and spatialize them and render them on the map or you were like a supply chain application. Uh, but none of that tells you if what you see or on the blockchain or on the map is actually there. And that's really where the third element comes in, which is proof of location. And that's driven mm-hmm. by crypto economics, uh, token economics of trying to come to consensus on if those things that we see on the map are actually where they say they are. Got so it. So it's kind of like a... Go ahead. No, go no, no, ahead. Go ahead. We'll cut it out. I was just going to say that the geohash is... Uh, is that, that works for any type of location data, right? You said like GPS, longitude, latitude, street address. It just is a new standard for, for how you enter geolocation yeah, so data have- in the book. We kind of think of location as a solved problem already um, because we have latitude, longitude, or we have postal addresses, but it really isn't. There are billions of people without postal addresses and then like billions of parcels of land without any address either. And latitude, longitude numbers are really long. So there are companies trying to solve this. Like one's called What Three Words, where they take like a three by three square of anywhere on the earth and apply it three words like soccer, banana, birthday would just be like this point in the desert. The problem is it's centralized and they pay licensing fees to like Mercedes or train companies. So it's not really compatible with blockchain. But uh, Geohash is a different way to encode those really long latitude longitudes. And it's been open source since 2008 or 9. But like many open source things, they just kind of sit there and no one uses them. Uh, so we're kind of taking that open standard of a way to encode location and 
have a way for a smart contract to make a immutable claim to that encoding. And then, yeah, it works for anywhere up to one square meter on there. So would the uh, the plan going forward be to kind of use um, like crypto economic, um, excuse me, crypto economic incentives uh, as well as uh, like your proof of location and what you're working on to incentivize individuals to constantly update these like points of interest, like these maps, these like this other data and kind of like act as like, you know, like real life like auditors of these like maps and this locational data is is like what's what foundationally do you think is most important that will be built from this? Yeah, so the cryptospatial coordinates really just kind of a primitive. Um, it could mm-hmm. be applied to anything. But when we get to then proof of location, we have kind of two mm-hmm. types. We think of static and dynamic, where static is points of interest, things on the map that don't move. So that's mm-hmm. um, any contract could claim a location, but in the context of this points of interest, uh, we're using a token curated registry primitive combined with mm-hmm. this cryptospatial coordinate to make a custom basically token curated registry for points of interest. And that's kind of then the incentive model of curation. We have these cartographers and candidates. Uh, there are millions of changes a week to open street maps, but no one actually edits or checks for fraud. So that's where in the context of the static proof of location, there would be incentives to edit or curate it. But you could not be participating in that and also still apply a location to your smart contract and use it in your own app or something. Have what? What are some of the um, the use cases that people have been exploring with this thus far? Like, I'm sure you guys have had like developers playing around with their like uh, your your API and the tool sets that you guys have provided thus far. What's 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 maybe something novel that you've seen some come about like suggesting to be built with it, or have people have tried to as a POC thus far? Oh, well, one that I'm pretty excited about. We've done uh, workshopping and uh, kind of MOU with the protocol Dether, and that's for like local Ethereum oh, yeah, exchanges. Yeah, yeah. And um, they have like a big spatial component because they have like shops that will res- register as like places where you can exchange your ether. And they want to basically integrate this visualizer for their tool. Um, similarly, we're working with like Viant on the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and the supply chain. Uh, similarly, in that sense, we've seen some teams pop up excitingly. One's called Spacer Network. I think they're based in Lithuania. So they're doing NFTs with AR and they have like a working concept. And they want to then apply those items with the CSCs and have them also show up on the map. So that's kind of from like a user point of view of accessing our developer portal. But then when we move to the dynamic proof of location of consensus through time and space, that's where we get into using custom hardware and um, this like mining aspect. And there, there we see proof of concepts with like in trusted IoT or in mobility uh, where things are actually moving around and you need to verify them. I love all the acronyms that we have in here. We've got like IoT, we've got proof of location, we've got we've got everything, proof of space <laughs> and time. It really does sound like we're living in the future nowadays. Um, yep. But but in regards to um, what are you building here, Ryan? What, what's been you know? There seems like there's a lot of moving pieces here. I know you guys have been working on this like uh, diligently, like you said, since like 2015. So when you, what's been some hiccups in the road and like kind of. Uh, um, what's been the most difficult challenge to like get over to get to the point of where you are right now, which is like, I believe like about to like have your sale ongoing, I believe. Yeah, I guess just the the fact that we're not a straightforward financial product, there's been a little bit of barriers of communication. Like I said, most people think location is a solved problem where they don't really think about how GPS works uh, or how their phone figures out where they are. And I think most people have been focused on, you know, gambling, prediction markets, decentralized exchanges, ways to trade and make money. Um, so we've been a little bit, you know, uh, outside the main discourse coming from this location point of view. 
definitely much more challenging a few years ago. Uh, we're definitely, I think a lot of people are seeing the value proposition a lot more clearly now. Um, but because we've been at it for so long, we had many hiccups. Like for example, we were pitching our decentralized architecture office the day of the Dow hack. So that was a very bad investor meeting. And we decided <laughs> to, to yeah. pitch uh, Pivot into more enterprise domain and try to make more equity crowdfunding spatial platforms. And you know, at that time, all traditional investors were asking us, what's the point of blockchain? Um, so we were kind of always caught in the, the wrong timing. And you know, I think now uh, we've even had to delay our sale many months due to the regulatory environment. But we've come to a place where we have a working protocol and we're working with partners in the Brooklyn Project framework. Uh, for a consumer token model, so it feels like the time is now right. <laughs> do you uh, do you remember any of the comments from that meeting by chance? Like, how, how did um, that go? Yeah, it was basically like a just get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, we were driving from LA to San Francisco, just watching the price, and um, it was a pretty bad day to be pitching your Dow. Oh man, man so it was a bad day for Dow's. Could we drill down on some of like the user engagement with foam? Like, mm -hmm. you know, like what's the user story? How do they interact with your platform? Am I going to be able to put like my apartment as a immutable Tinder hotspot on a map? I'd like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'd like that. And but, how do like, I stop from how do I stop someone from like curating like a known list of like Ethereum developers and all their home addresses and then paying people to fill this map in? Yeah. <laughs> well, those are two loaded questions. Um, I guess it's important to You're on the hot seat, President Ryan King. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess like it's important to differentiate in get user engagement with the protocol itself and then user engagement with apps that are built on the protocol. So okay. I would say like a dating app that has geospatial components would be like an app that then references the underlying uh, points of interest. So that's going to be up to these developers and how they want to build their application experiences. Uh, in terms of just interacting with the protocol, uh, we currently have a beta running on beta.foam.space, which is like a preview of how the spatial index operates. Um, but we've been building it as it's like a standalone app for the points of interest. And uh, in that case, yeah, if you wanted to have your apartment or your um, office space beyond the map, you could add it. And if no one challenged you, you would be added to the registry. But also we have this ranking function where at different Zoom levels, you would see different points. So that's where like added stake comes in. So if you wanted to attest even more value to your hot hotspot or pad, you would be like more visible on the map at different zoom levels. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. All right, now let's and, get back to my really hard question. Uh, <laughs> can you remind me what it was? Uh, how do we stop people from doing taking what you've developed similarly and creating basically like a known list of like where maybe like major crypto related influencers live, keeping that live updated and having individuals be incentivized to continue to update where these people are at any moment? Um, yeah, that's a good question. How do we prevent that? Uh, I would kind of um, point to the recent paper that just came out, um, I think from IC3 and Cornell about like uh, governance issues and dark DAOs and how you might have these like entities kind of uh, doing that. I think you, it's a pretty difficult challenge to stop people from uh, collecting information in secret and sharing it in secret. Um, oh man, anytime I hear these really awesome like projects and as they come closer to fruition and understand their uses, like when we have like, you know, immutable like data storage, when we have like, you know, like incentivized like proof of location and location. Da -da 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 -da, yeah, I immediately think, oh man, how could this go wrong and how could somebody use something like that maliciously? And, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's multiple different ways that you can, you know, torment someone or poke at them, um, either it be digitally or what have you, but um, someone's location. 
is a very, 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 very private thing. Um, so, you know, the, and, and that's, that, that, that all comes down to like operational security. So I'm always just sort of like wondering, like, you know, from an ethos standpoint, and as you're like getting developers on board, you know, keep those types of things in mind that there are individuals that can easily like, you know, err on the side of like evil and would seek to kind of do something like this. And I'm just making sure that this is on you guys' mind. Yeah, I definitely think though, from the consumer point of view, those who would be purchasing these attestations or fraud proofed location claims about themselves once we have the mm-hmm. full dynamic proof of location it would be you know privacy preserving and fraud proofed and they have the agency when they want to purchase it and who they want to reveal it to so we see that as like a large advance from what we have today where people passively press accept on every app and they don't realize yep. they're actually saying that they approve their location data to be bundled up packaged and sold and we've just seen yep. some recent leaks that even it's been standardized for hedge funds to buy this kind of data um, to make informed decisions about, um, without really anyone's consent. Oh wow, that's crazy! I haven't, I haven't, actually, I haven't, read, I haven't read about that. I need to look into that. Um, but I guess okay. So the next thing we'd probably want to know about foam is once the sale has like reached completion and you guys have been building, building, building for the past few years. What's kind of what's the major milestone that's going to come after that on your roadmap where foam's moving into like the next level? Not when you guys have capital. Um, yeah, well, even before I get to the part about capital, like the initial mm-hmm. uh, launch part is after the sale, we'll be going straight to the mainnet and delivering tokens to all the purchasers. And uh, part of the framework model of the sale through the token foundry standards in Brooklyn Project is something called proof of use. Um, yep. So that means that you actually have to use the tokens before you can ever transfer them, or at least a portion. So the purchasers will have to build out the map and add points. Um, and in addition, there's like 45-day lock period where the tokens are usable on the foam contracts, but um, not transferable outward. And that's for uh, all users to kind of familiarize themselves with the app, be able to demonstrate proof of use, and for us to just assess that everything is sufficiently decentralized. And, yeah, um, and attest to the utility of the network. That's cool. That's kind of like floats back to my point where I was always like, the game always changes every year. Every every time they think they got you, it's like, a, but they, they loosen the reins up enough to like kind of have the def- like definitionally like uh, the, the the conversation around securities was opened up when they said that you could be a utility and now it seems as if we're like okay well you need to have gotten to a certain point where you've progressed you built your protocol like it makes sense it's got like a known platform it's got developers utilizing it and we have people actually using it for some like novel use case like you guys it seem like are probably going to be the tipping point where a lot of the other projects are going to have to go that direction if you guys find success in this process yeah, we definitely think so and are interested in pioneering this new model. Um, but in terms of roadmap, more generally, uh, we'd be releasing later this summer uh, specifications for the hardware. And uh, the hardware testing is built on a Tendermint-based application for logging this time sync protocol. So just for listeners, if we caught you off guard, so the dynamic proof of location is meant to be an alternative to GPS uh, that's tried to incentivize people to run this low-power hardware. Uh, so we're really excited about that and having uh, like large-scale testing we currently have over 20 global communities forming of local groups and people are testing to want to run that stuff. So by the end of the year, we think there'll be this testing in multiple cities. And in parallel, we want to be empowering and uh, organizing events to have people be building on the spatial index and building dApps uh, by the end you of know the year. It'd be re- 
it would be really cool slash like growth hacky thing for you guys to do is when you have these people to be able to set up these hardware nodes to be able to like, you know, test at a location to help like feed like data points to the network where you've got all these like wonderlust, like traveling wonderkin crypto like folks that are bouncing around all over the world, going to different, you know, remote locations, like traveling to different places. It'd be really cool if there was you guys had like a program or like ambassadors where you literally just had people traveling. And going and like you know providing data and, and like kind of like growing these different um, like data resources and, and caches like like all over the world. It, it's a really interesting novel idea. You guys could literally pay people to travel to provide you guys more enriched data early on, at least as a means yeah. to bootstrap. Uh, cartography research grant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think about it. It sounds kind of cool. There's already those guys that run around with those backpacks, like mapping stuff everywhere for Google. Like that'd be so awesome. Yeah, I've That's actually been to a mapathon here in New York. Uh, where people get together and instead of hacking, they go out mapping and make sure all the bus stops. <laughs> um, and there's a special subgroup for fire, for, for fire hydrant mappers. They have their own group where they make sure all the fire hydrants are in the right place on the map. I, think, awesome. I did not even know that existed. I think that's a perfect segue into, into my next question. It's maybe not much of a question, but an opportunity for you, Ryan. I was on the Twitter machine the other day. Uh, you know, that bastion of positivity. On and, the tweets, though. <laughs> yeah. And there was a guy, I don't remember who he was, but he was very critical of your project. And he said, you know, Google's paid millions of dollars for Google Maps to work like it does. And Apple's just now getting in the game. They hire cartographers. They hire researchers. Uh, there's no way an, an open protocol for a decentralized geospatial data market can ever work. That was, that was what he said pretty much verbatim. So... I guess my challenge to you is like, if that guy's in the room right now, tell him why he's wrong. Yeah, well, I would tell him it already works. So I'm not really sure what he's talking about in that. Open- <laughs> it was like Twitter. As just a critique from Twitter that I saw. Yeah, I saw that as well. Like you have like fantastic crowdsourcing from uh, OpenStreetMap, completely free, but it has its issues in that there's no verification, and you have to have these companies subsidizing it and checking it. Um, Google paying people directly, sure that's successful, and you know, we can't compete directly with their full stack mapping like satellite and uh, 3D modeling of buildings. You know, that's not exactly what we're trying to tackle at this moment. Uh, but we're really really trying to solve it in a totally novel crypto economic way where you don't actually pay people um, because paying people, they might as well delete the points and re-add them and try to get paid for that. Where instead we want to like incentivize people and add skin in the game economics so that if you want to add something to the map, um, you actually have to like put down some sort of value. You could always take it back. You still own it, but that's your assertion of truth. And you want to say, you know, this is a valid thing. This is like the consensus-driven map everyone can agree on. And you don't do that in OpenStreetMap today. And so there's no skin in the game, and people add a lot of bogus data, and no one really checks it. Um, so we see a, a lot of success in crowdsource mapping for completely free, and we want to keep it free but add like new incentive models uh, to basically have these checks and balances. Nice. That's awesome. I would love to have something like this, like but like with like old school like gaming so i could just like meet up with people and just have like you know like a street fighter like gym leader battle like show up show up to people's neighborhoods and you're like oh yeah i'm the best person in street fighter you come under my house pick up the sticks and just show up and just like defeat people that'd be fun i would love to apply this to like other like novel ways for like people to meet up where there was like hey like uh, we're having a party here on like this like such and such state and like you know incentivize like that like points of interest or like uh, garage sales and things like that there's so many cool things that you can do with it yeah we really think it's like the, the you know the people have to ask me what's the killer application and you know we see a lot of traction in these verticals like mobility or IOT but we really think location mm-hmm. is like a long tail where you know it's going to be so many niche 
use cases where maybe it's standard you want to buy a presence claim every time you're at a bar or mm-hmm. people inventing all these uh, different you know unique games for treasure hunting or um, finding uh, secret mm-hmm. spots like garage sales or very bizarre bleeds from virtual identities into real world identities where people can congregate spatially. So yeah, we're really yeah, excited like, on what the community will build. I want like a speakeasy, but in my house, you know, like you don't know unless you know, and you know, at this point of interest, you know, be really you, cool. Uh, <laughs> people still say speakeasy. I know. Yeah, man, speakeasy. Too. It's a thing, man. You look, if you look up on Yelp, you look up speakeasy. It's like really like low key. You just, you're not, you're not there to meet you. You'll get there. Oh, okay. Um, but <laughs> speakeasy. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but Ryan. So uh, I guess um, after like filling us in all on phone, what you guys are doing with the sale, kind of your vision, your product technical roadmap going forward here. What should we leave the audience with to like think about and chew on for foam, um, as 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 they go to like uh, think about how they're whether they're gonna one use your application or platform going forward into the future, or just sort of like get involved into what you're doing. Yeah, I would just say to keep in mind, uh, everyone should start thinking more spatially and about location and we just think that it's going to be a really crucial fundamental uh, piece of infrastructure for all this future web3 use cases so even if it's not foam uh, we're going to need these kind of solutions when we have uh, smart contracts operating out in the real world Um, we're really open-minded and have a open community of developer portal as well as uh, github and uh, telegram so we hope that people get involved and bring their ideas critiques uh, and visions for apps um, and yeah, we're excited to be working with our partners at the Brooklyn Project and Token Foundry. Our registration from our token sale opens July 16th on tokenfoundry.com. So you can check that out if you're interested in participating as a cartographer. Awesome. All right. Well, again, thank you very much, Ryan. And thank you for coming on the show. It was a long time coming. It was excellent to see Foam grow and evolve and go from the mental white paper you guys have for a long time to this like this physical thing. And you guys have jumped through a lot of hurdles and we're really excited. I think this will actually be a really core piece of uh, infrastructure for the ecosystem that will enrich applications for developers going forward. So exciting to see what comes um, to fruition from this. So thank you again. And uh, when you guys move forward and you guys become the Google Maps of the world, come on back and tell us how you conquered. All right. Really excited to be on Block Channel. Thank you, guys. No problem, Ryan. You have a great day, buddy. This episode of Block Channel was brought to you by MakerDAO. MakerDAO and their team are the creators of the DAI stablecoin. The DAI stablecoin allows developers and investors to collateralize their Ethereum in return for a non-fluctuating stable asset the DAI that they can then use to interact as a medium of exchange for payments or for developers to create more legacy-like UI UXs for their consumers who are used to spending assets that are non-fluctuating in value. To learn more about the MakerDAO and their project, the DAI, check out our links in the show notes below.